0: With pretty much any topic, there is a developmentally appropriate way to talk with a child. Not talking to them doesn't prevent them from hearing about it, learning about it. It just ensures that they're not going to be learning about it from you.
1: This is the Curious Neuron Podcast, where we take a compassionate approach to science based parenting. Join us as we break down the science of child development and parenting into digestible and applicable advice. Hello, dear friend. Welcome back to another episode of the Curious Neuron Podcast. My name is Cindy Huffington and I am your host. I am a mom of three and I have a doctorate degree in neuroscience, and my goal is to help you with parenting, not just understanding your child, but understanding yourself. Uh, in today's podcast, I have a very special guest. I read one of her posts online, one of her pieces, and um, just fell in love with her work. And once I started following her on Instagram, I loved her work even more. She is um, a science-based writer. And if you enjoy Neuron, you're definitely going to love Melinda Moyer's work. Melinda is a contributing editor at Scientific American Magazine and is a weekly contributor to the New York Times. She's a faculty member in the Science, Health, and Environmental Reporting Program at NYU's Arthur L. Carter Journalism Institute. Her first book is what also made me love her work even more. The title itself, if I have to be honest, I would not have picked it up (laughs) at the library or the bookstore. Um, But once I read it, I realized that she was on point for everything that she spoke about in the book. Her book is called How to Raise Kids Who Aren't Assholes. And it was published in July, 2021 and has won a gold medal in the 2022 Living Now Book Awards. Melinda is also the recipient of the 2022 Excellence in Science Science Journalism Award from the Society for Personality and Social Psychology. The reason why i bring this up is because it shows just how well she's summarizing the science and interpreting it and how she's helping us as parents. I really connected with the beginning of her book because she spoke about feeling uncomfortable giving parenting advice. And this is something that I also struggled with when I fell into this parenting world coming out of neuroscience. I was talking about mental health and, and you know, talking to scientists and now I was talking to parents as if I knew what I was doing. And I didn't like that idea. Um, I still struggle with it a little bit now, but I feel confident that, you know, a lot of parents out there, including yourself, are looking for the science. And I know that I could summarize that science for you very well. And this is what Melinda does as well. Before we move on to my conversation with Melinda, I first want to thank the Tannenbaum Open Science Institute for supporting the Curious Neuron podcast. And I would also ask you to take a moment to review the podcast and leave a rating on iTunes or you can leave a rating on Spotify as well. Um, This really means a lot to me when you do that because it's showing us that you want more. So the next season, season five, is actually dependent on you taking that 30 seconds to, to leave a review and a rating. I would also encourage you to follow Curious Neuron on Instagram, Curious underscore neuron. And you also have the Curious Neuron podcast that has its specific page. And lastly, if you are looking for help with your child's emotions and, and don't know how to do this, I have an app called WonderGrade. The link is in the show notes as well. You can have a two week free trial. And we have a new feature on the app that has storybooks that you could print. The first one we published is about shyness and if your child is struggling with feeling shy very often we have two storybooks that you could listen to as an audio wherever you are and you can also print the actual storybook with the words or a mini book version that your child could carry with them wherever they are and that way when they're feeling shy you could remind them what would what would Ollie do in the story or what sort of tool did Ollie use to help him um, feel a little bit less shy so I hope that you enjoy that. And lastly, you can also go to our website, curiousneuron.com, to read our most recent blog posts or visit the Curious Neuron Academy. Uh, If you click on workshops uh, at the top of the website, you can see some of our courses and most of them deal with um, your child's emotions and behavior and your emotions and understanding your childhood and how that shapes who you are as a parent. And we also have a play program. So you could visit curiousneuron.com. All right. I will not make you wait any longer. Please enjoy my interview with Melinda. Hi, Melinda. Welcome to the Neuron podcast. Hi, Cindy. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I I was looking forward to speaking with you. Uh, As I said before, um, it's so nice to meet somebody who's covering the research and doing it as well as you are, because I do think it's important for us to share the research that's behind these paywalls and shouldn't be. And these researchers are doing such important work and you highlight them beautifully in your book. We're going to get to that. But thank you for the work that you do. Oh my gosh.
0: Uh, Thank you for the work you do too. Yeah. (laughs) There's so much great research out there that there really is be communicated. Yeah,
1: exactly. And so I'd love to jump into, um, we're going to jump into your book, but I'd love to understand a little bit more about yourself. We've never had a conversation before. And, you know, as I was reading your book, I kept thinking, this is the perfect time for this book because I am seeing a lot of um, DMs and messages from parents talking about aggressive behavior in their children or just like kids who are being disrespectful and rude at school. And and that's becoming common in terms of, of messages. So that's why I thought that it was a really important time to have this book. So what led to you writing the book now? And is this
0: something that had been in the works for a while? I guess yes and no. It depends on what a while means. But I... You know, I started seeing data suggesting that that there were there was a lot of nastiness going on, basically, like <laughs> in the world broadly. So I came up with the idea for the book in 2018. And so Trump was president <laughs> in the U.S. And um, I was getting very worried about like what affects w- was his rhetoric and his behavior going to have on kids? Because I knew from psychology, like social learning theory, that kids look to adults and especially adults in power Mm. to decide what's appropriate behavior. And here we had, you know, not just Trump, but other people too, you know, on TV, on the radio, bullying and saying nasty Mm. things, saying sexist, racist things. And it felt like it was just becoming more and more acceptable. And I was like, what, what are my kids going to learn from this? You know, and how do I talk to them about this and how do I ensure that they don't start doing this? And I then was digging into, um, Data to say, you know, to see, well, is this something we really should be worried about? And I did see even, you know, back in 2018 that bullying rates were going up in um, a lot of schools, you know, especially in schools in pro Trump districts. There was some research on that. Um, Hate crimes were going up. And yeah, it just seemed like, oh my gosh, things are getting worse. And I wanted to know what, you know, what I as a parent could do to help you know prevent my own kids from sort of following this path and then what could you know what broadly could other parents be doing because I talked to other parents who were having the same concerns. So yeah, I mean it it was it's been going on a while but I do wonder too like what effect the pandemic and all the stress and anxiety mm-hmm. and you know depression that kids might be experiencing what role that might be playing in this kind of like aggressive behavior that we're seeing too because we know that you know, anxiety in kids can sometimes manifest as as aggressive behavior, and same with depression. So I'm sure it's in a way like even even worse, more acute right now. And I question the same
1: thing regarding the pandemic, you know, and what's happening within homes because we are seeing research around that as well, where you know the the environment has changed in, in homes, and even with the first lockdown, right, there were higher levels of abuse and neglect within the household. So. I always like to look at both sides, you know, what's happening with the parents and what's happening with the kids. And I don't know if you've experienced this as well on social media, but I find comments are a little bit more harsh <laughs> these past a uh, couple of months. I would say even more than that, like a year. And I always wonder, like, are, are we seeing that parents are just burnt out and just frustrated with life? And understandably so, these past few years have been very difficult, but... I wonder how much, and we probably don't have an answer to this, but just in terms of conversation, how much is just trickling down to our kids in terms of us not having this patience anymore, and maybe not being kind to them, not intentionally, but we're tired and frustrated.
0: Yeah, Mm. absolutely. I'm sure that's playing a role too. Um, Yeah, yeah, I've had a lot of conversations with friends recently about just they're seeing other adults who are really short tempered right now and really not Mm -hmm. being kind and. And yeah, I mean, not only is that like modeling behavior for kids too, but these, you know, a lot of these adults are parents. And so if, if they are, you know, engaging with strangers in ways that are really like not very patient and yeah. what are they doing at home with their kids? They're probably, mm. you know, also really struggling and maybe not being the most responsive, warm parents, maybe not able to set boundaries. like, And that's going to have all sorts of trickle down effects on kids. Yeah. So yeah, there's just so many things going on. I think that could be affecting kids' mental health and behavior.
1: You know, one of the take-home messages from your book, um, and I'm I'm gonna read the whole title. and And, and pa- nobody's heard me swear before, but I do swear, <laughs> uh, and it's not that bad in the end. But how to raise kids who aren't assholes? <laughs> and I have to be honest, if I would have seen this on the book on the shelves and not known you and your work, I would have been like, yeah, why? <laughs> but now that I read it, and then I I knew the work that and the message you were trying to get across. It is exactly what we need to read as parents. And for me, that the take-home message of all of this is. We're going to make mistakes as parents and we might not know what to say in certain circumstances or how to help our child develop certain traits. But the big picture that I took home was we need to have conversations. No matter what, when you do sit down and have these conversations, then no matter what, even if it wasn't the right way of saying it or even if it wasn't the exact words you needed to use, you had the conversation and it's a good start, especially with what we're seeing um around like you were saying you brought up the trump when he was in but now we're seeing a lot going on this week too and i I hear a lot about like you know we can't be silent and i think this applies with our kids if they're old enough we need to have conversations around what's right and what's wrong and what's kind and what's not um it was my take-home message (laughs) the right one i guess that you wanted people to get from your book
0: yeah, I was going to say, I'm so glad that was the take home message oh, good. that you got, because that is like the key thing that I want as the takeaway from the book, mm-hmm. because yeah, I know I jump around in the book and I talk about a lot of different topics, but I feel like that was one theme that I just kept hearing, no matter what kind of psychologist I was talking to, what issue they studied, they would say, just, you know, we need to be talking more with our kids about this issue, you know, bullying, sex, sexism, Mm. racism, um, like anything. um, We tend to pull away from hard topics as parents. And understandably, like we might be worried that we're going to scare our kids or, you know, corrupt their innocence, or we might Mm -hmm. think they're not, you know, ready for it. But Really, I believe that with pretty much any topic, there is a developmentally appropriate way to talk with a a child about it. And that there are so many benefits to doing that because not talking to them doesn't prevent them from hearing about it, learning about it. It just ensures that they're not going to be learning about it from you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they might be getting it from YouTube then or from their friends or from, Mm -hmm. you know, who knows? And that that source of information might not be trustworthy. So yeah, good. (laughs) And as uncomfortable
1: as these conversations can be, you know, we do need to have them. And I'm thinking of like racism and sexism and having these conversations and first addressing your own biases. Maybe you have some biases or stereotypes that you need to work on as well. Um, But what I also enjoyed is the fact that like you're not, sometimes parents are worried about parenting books or parenting advice and being in this field, you know, that we, we, you're similar to myself where we don't want to just tell them what to do. We want to give that research and say like, this is what the research suggests. And here's how you could do it within your home. And I love that you give that advice so I, I guess to start off, I, I know this whole conversation is we're going to focus on like how to raise a kind human, and and I'd, I would start off with kindness. And you 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 had this in your book. Would you start there in terms of like modeling kindness, and and how how can we begin doing this within our home?
0: Yes. Yep. That was um, <laughs> really the first chapter because I mm-hmm. thought, well, that's when i was trying to think of like what's the opposite of an asshole what, what are the qualities <laughs> <laughs> kindness came out as pretty much up there like kindness generosity yeah. um compassion like all of those things are very closely related um so yes modeling kindness as a parent is very important you know um, even just how we engage with our kids. Like, are we respectful? Are we kind with our own children? You know, are we kind to our partner Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the pandemic? That was kind of hard to do sometimes, (laughs) but, but kids are, you know, they're constantly like, I describe them in the book as like social detectives. They're looking around, trying to understand how they're supposed to engage with the world. And they're looking around at us to learn what's appropriate, you know, what, what should they do in a particular situation? So what we do as parents really makes a huge difference in terms of what they learn. But another big thing uh, that I focus on, I talk a lot about feelings in the book because feelings are so important for the development of so many things. I mean, kindness, compassion, empathy. Um, And so one thing I talk about, that's a kind of a concrete way that we can foster kindness in kids. And it takes a minute to sort of get to the to to explain the pathway here, but um, when we allow our kids to, you know, have feelings, um, we acknowledge them and validate them rather than trying to shut them down, telling them to, you know, calm down or stop crying Mm -hmm. when we allow feelings. And when we allow conversations about feelings, that is really important for developing like an understanding of how feelings work and and, um, emotional literacy and that is really, really crucial for the development of like kind and compassionate behavior. Because if you think about, you know, you see a friend who looks upset across the room and you want to figure out how to help them and make them feel better. You have to be able to look at that friend and read their body language, maybe their facial expressions and figure out based on what you know about feelings, maybe your own experiences with feelings or conversations with feelings you've had with your parents. What is my friend feeling right now? And Mm -hmm then what is the best thing for me to do to help somebody who's feeling that feeling? And so you really have to have this like strong literacy in in like, what does a feeling look like? Well, you know, how does embarrassment look compared with fear, compared with anger? Because you're going to want to help your friend differently depending on what feeling you're seeing and and what you know about that feeling and what's helpful in the situation in which you're feeling that feeling. So just like building a, a home in which feelings are or something that, that is, is fodder for conversations Mm -hmm. is, um, okay to have is okay to, you know, help your kids manage, but at the same time, like, okay to just sit and and have like that you don't want to try to shut down. Um, that is very, very helpful ultimately for helping kids develop these skills so that they can become thoughtful, compassionate Mm -hmm. and kind people.
1: I know what parents are saying right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because I've heard it before. If we haven't learned this ourselves, right? So if we were raised in an environment where our emotions were just crushed or brushed aside and said, you know, whenever it's negative, we don't ha- we don't need this in the home. Just, just brush it off, get over it and, and stop being a baby. And now what I'm hearing from parents is, so I was taught to do this. Now, how do I unlearn this? And how do I make sure that I speak about emotions properly with my child? Not all parents, obviously, but parents that are struggling with these emotions in in their child, they don't know how to approach it. How can we start the work, I guess, if Mm. we know we need to, that's our end goal, right? We need to make emotions feel comfortable within our home. Like you said, not just about like being able to express them, but being able to sit in them. But how do we begin that if we haven't learned that?
0: Yeah, I do think that's hard because I certainly went through this journey when I was reporting and writing my book where I would learn, you know, okay, here's maybe the most constructive way to handle a situation. But then I would see myself doing the exact opposite because my instincts (laughs) would kick in. My emotions would take over too. And I would sometimes like snap at my kids. And I had to kind of go through this process of like unlearning my own (laughs) reactions. (laughs) I mean, um, I think, so it does take time and and it's not like you're going to get it all of a sudden. Like it's not you're not going to just transform that. after reading exactly. research into like the perfect parent, right? Because so much <laughs> of our parenting is reactive and it is rooted mm. in our own experiences with our parents growing up and mm-hmm. what you know we you know, we were taught to do mm. and whatnot. And we're human. And we're <laughs> human. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And we're human. So we're yeah, we're not robots. Um, so I think we are going to continue to kind of stumble and, and react in the ways maybe we don't want to. But over time, you know, I've found like my first step with with my kids and engaging with them when they had like tantrums or just really big feelings was just, if I could just get myself to not say the negative thing and just sort of stay silent and try to keep my face Mm -hmm. sort of neutral. Like that was a first step that I had to go through where I was like, instead of, you know, I had to bite my tongue. So I didn't say like, calm down or or, it's okay. (laughs) Or you're okay. Or stop crying. It's not a big deal. Like that was my first step was just biting my tongue. And that was like hard enough. But then I got Mm -hmm. to that point and then and then I could sort of, instead of like having this negative emotional reaction to their feelings, which I still sometimes do have, like I could mm-hmm. instead think about trying to be compassionate and think about what are they, you know, what are they going through right now? Like, what is it like to be my kid right now? That must suck. Like, they're, they're really sad. They're legitimately sad. And then I mm-hmm. could actually think of more like compassionate things to say, but I just kind of went step-by-step step and tried to cut out the worst <laughs> bits first. And then as I mastered that add on a little bit more of like, okay, now could I, could I, you know, crouch down with her and be right next to her while she's screaming? Is that, am I gonna be able to handle that and, you know, show mm-hmm. her that I'm here for her, et cetera. So then just like adding little things.
1: The way you just described it, makes it more manageable for somebody who says, I don't know where to begin. Just start with baby steps, like anything else, right? The small steps that matter that you you just said something that reminded me another part that I loved is is how human you were in this book. And you know, when we cover <laughs> when we cover science or we cover anything around parenting, and I think you, you addressed this at the beginning of your book, like not wanting to give parenting advice or write another like parenting book that just adds to all the stress that some parents are getting. But I think it's important that we address the fact that we are parents ourselves and human <laughs> and that we we are not perfect. And we need to hear that as parents. Even myself, sometimes I have days where I'm like, oh everything just Like went like nothing went right today, and I have three. I have three kids, ages three, five, and seven. There are quite a few of those days, (laughs) and especially, especially when I'm tired or like you know, you have a deadline and and you're just your mind is somewhere else. But you mentioned those parts in your book when you would struggle or you know when you had those human mom moments, and that's okay for us to have them.
0: Yeah, Mm. it's not only like okay. I think it can be actually really instructive and powerful Mm. for kids, like. I think, you know, when I make a mistake as a parent, when I yell at my kids, then once I've calmed down enough, I will, I will make uh I mean, I will I will go to them and I will apologize. And, you know, I know like this is powerful. I'm modeling what's a real apology. Like I'll say, I'm so sorry that I just got mad at you. I should not have done that. Um and then sometimes I will use it as an opportunity to let them problem solve for me. Like, mm-hmm. I will say, like, what do you think I should have done? Like, I, you know, I'm so tired. And I think that might have been why I snapped. But like, what could I have done instead of yelling at you? What should I have done? And then they think through like, oh, you know, mom, sometimes this works for me. Or maybe you should try this. And they love that. So then I try to turn it into like a teaching moment and mm-hmm. an empowering moment for them. Um, so I, I sometimes I feel like we can take these mistakes and actually turn them into a net positive. Um, so that's how I sometimes try to think of it. Um, because yeah, I'm constantly doing things that I wish I wasn't doing as a parent. Um, and so, and that's okay. And I, I also think of like, you know, parenting is like full of infinite opportunities to, teach our kids different lessons and stuff. We do not have to take every single one of those opportunities in order for mm-hmm. our kids to grow into amazing people. We can take them every so often and we can miss a bunch of opportunities or screw them up. And like, that's not, that's <laughs> not going to screw them up we can just, yeah. you know, take them as we can when we have the wherewithal and the energy and, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to use them, but we don't have to take all of those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Mm, it's true.
1: When I think of the the batches of emails, like different categories that I get, there's always the, the, the number one thing is like emotions and behavior. And how do we support our kids with that? The second one is about resilience. How do we raise a resilient child? Because, oh, and actually, interestingly enough, I, I, I met somebody last week. Um, and, and I, well, yeah, I even wrote this down. There was a line in your book that said, I tend to avoid cocktail parties and I related <laughs> to you so well, so much. You were like somebody that I've known all my life because I don't like <laughs> these either. And last week I had to go to a cocktail party and the first person I spoke with said, I hate parenting advice. <laughs> I, I absolutely don't like following parenting advice. I want to do things the way I want. I'll make my mistakes and and so on. And I said, I, I completely get that. With Curious Neuron, we try to nurture the parent first. So I said, who's ever, you know, who takes care of you? Who makes sure that you're doing well? Who talks about your self compassion and all of that? So that was a different conversation. But this person's partner told me, you know, I think kids aren't resilient enough. I think that they're being spoon fed and, and given and not given opportunities where they can build that resilience. And, you know, we're cuddling them at, at school and making sure they're fine and no bullying. And let's have more programs. I think every child should be bullied to be, become resilient. And I thought I want, we should address this because. Mm. I don't think every child needs to be bu- bullied to become resilient, and and maybe we need to address this.
0: <laughs> yes, this question. <laughs> I uh, I have thoughts too. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um. I mean, in in some ways, I do agree with the sentiment that we we need to make sure that our kids have opportunities to mm-hmm. feel discomfort and to be yes. challenged and to experience mm-hmm. failure, because I do think that that is what builds resilience. Is having kids live through something that is Mm -hmm. difficult. Maybe, Um, maybe they forgot their homework, you know, and they have to go to school without their homework and sort of deal with the consequences Mm -hmm. or um, something like that. Like we do sometimes, I think as parents jump in and rescue kids from having to experience those bad things. And I certainly have, I do that as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think we should be thoughtful about ensuring that our kids have opportunities to, you know, be challenged and to be uncomfortable, because in doing so, we can help them develop the skills to live through those and endure them and maybe grow from them and to recognize like, oh, it's not the end of the world when something difficult happens. I can get through this and maybe even learn something from it. But I wouldn't go so far as to say that kids should be bullied because yes. we know <laughs> that that bullying can have very long-lasting, harmful consequences for kids. Um, so we can we can very easily find more ap- developmentally appropriate and positive opportunities for our kids to learn resilience um, and bullying does not have to be part of that we do not that that's not a good thing yeah and it starts young right so when we look at i think we're going dis- to discuss parenting styles
1: soon but It starts young in the sense of just saying no to something. That's not comfortable. That doesn't make me happy as a child. And I will do anything and everything possible to get a yes out of you as a parent, right? And when we have to keep those boundaries firm and and not, you know, just give in to our child, that's already a part that's contributing to, to their resilience from what I understand.
0: Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Holding those boundaries firm, telling our kids no, even if it leads to an epic meltdown, which is not (laughs) fun to endure, but we should, you know, it's okay. It's okay for kids to have, again, it comes back to the feelings too. It's okay Mm -hmm. for kids to be upset. It's okay for them to have negative feelings. Our job is not to keep our kids happy. And I think actually keeping Mm -hmm. our kids happy is really counterproductive because that's not as an adult, you don't get to go through life constantly happy. You don't get all of your problems solved by some magic fairy. You know, we, you have to deal with them. You have to solve them (laughs) yourself. And and so what we want as parents is to be building the skills that allow our kids to deal with those moments. Um, Mm. Yeah. So um, there's so many ways I think that we can build resilience. I mean, I, I was, I've been thinking about this a lot with my own kids and there've been so many opportunities in just recent weeks where like my um, you know, my son forgot something at school that I knew he was going to want. And I had to think, should I drive it to school to drop him off? Or should I let him deal with the disappointment? Um, yeah. and maybe, you know, in being disappointed, he'll realize he needs a better system for packing his bag in the morning, yes. right? Yes. Um, and there was a time when my daughter went to a sleepaway, uh, a sleepover and she called me and wanted me to take her home and and it wasn't because she wasn't having fun. Mm. It was that she wanted to go to sleep and she couldn't figure out a way to go to sleep because the other girls were being loud. Oh. And we ended up problem solving through it and she found a quiet place to sleep. And she was very glad that she stayed. But I almost got in the car to pick her up. Mm. But I was like, you know what? She she'd always been kind of nervous about sleepovers anyway. Mm. And I was like, if I can get her through this and have a, you know, have her have a good experience um and having lived through this little blip, this little challenge, then mm. she's going to want to do more sleepovers, but if I had rescued her at nine 30 at night, the next time she had a sleepover invite, she might say, I gosh, last time I couldn't handle it. I, maybe mm-hmm. I just shouldn't go to sleepovers. Maybe it's I, true. maybe I'm not a sleepover kid. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, again, there's all these little moments I think where we can, if we have the wherewithal and the ability in that moment, we might not to think <laughs> through like, what could I do in this moment? That's actually going to help my child through the challenge rather than rescue them from it. Then that can be really helpful helpful and powerful. That's such good advice. You know, you
1: just showed that there are lots of opportunities to build resilience within our child. And, and we have to just be aware of those moments because I think it comes from a good place, right? Where we just want to rescue our child, and make sure that they're not sitting in those uncomfortable emotions. It would have been easy to just jump into your car and, and go bring that item to your, your son or go pick up your daughter. But I think when you're more aware of situations that can build that resilience, then you realize, okay, this is a good one. This is one that I could just follow through with. Um, I I guess that brings me into the conversation of parenting styles and, and we'll get back into some traits and some qualities, but we hear a lot about parenting styles and I've spoken about it on my platform as well. And it's something that we wouldn't hear about before. I remember speaking to my mother in launch, like, parenting, what, style? No, I just parent. <laughs> it's just You just do it. Like, there's no category or style or responsive parenting or positive, whatever that is, you know, like, and it's true, they didn't have that. But now we have a lot of research that explains the different parenting styles. And with everything you just spoke about, I keep he- seeing the parenting styles in my mind, because when we're talking about the boundaries, and we're talking about the firmness, and we're talking about... Not being permissive, I, I think that's where it plays into. So I know you spoke about this within your book. Why is it important for you to talk about parenting styles and 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 share that with parents?
0: Yeah, so when I was trying to understand like where is the some of the most compelling science in the mm-hmm. parenting world, I found very quickly that it was in this realm of of parenting style. There was a lot of compelling research comparing different there's really like four main parenting styles that have been studied really well in terms of you know when kids are raised by parents who have a particular parenting style, how do they ultimately fare? Even like 20, 30 years down the line, like what can we say about how well they do and even like how much money they're making and how happy they are, all these things. Um, And I found, yeah, there was a lot of research on parenting style. And so it felt like if I'm going to write a book that's based in research and what we know from the research is, you know, the most quote unquote, like constructive way to parent, then parenting styles had to be in there. Um, but it is kind of a, a concept that we don't don't talk about a lot. I, I don't see people using the words very much. <laughs> They're also kind of difficult. There's two parenting styles that are very different, but yes. sound very similar, authoritative <laughs> yes. and authoritarian. And I hate that. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but and I think sometimes too, when people talk about parenting styles, it feels very um, like broad and, and vague, but I actually find thinking of parenting style helps ground me and helps me remember like, what are my key values as a parent? the The parenting style that's associated with the best outcomes in kids is this authoritative parenting. And it really has like just a handful of key tenets to it. I mean, one is that parents are warm. Um, and this is really important. We are warm. We are respectful of our kids. Um, and that's another big one. Some of the other parenting styles are not very respectful. Um, but we also set boundaries and have limits. Um, and so we set boundaries on behavior and, and, and we are firm with those boundaries. And so, you know, it's a little bit like there's a, there's kind of a push and a pull to authoritative Mm -hmm. parenting. And, And I kind of love that because it can mean that Um, you know, sometimes, yeah, it's okay to negotiate with your kids over maybe a limit. If you feel like they are making a good point about something and you respect them and you're listening to them and, and they, and you say, oh, well, okay, that makes sense. Maybe we'll change this just this once, but then other times you can say, you know what? No, this is my limit. This is not changing. And I have, as an authoritative parent, you know, I, I can decide (laughs) to do this. And so it gives you this flexibility, um, which I really appreciate, um, but you know, it's different from always giving in to your kids. That's permissive parenting, which is really not associated with good outcomes. That's like letting your kids basically decide everything, like, oh, what you can decide when bedtime is and when you do your homework and all these things. Um, and it's also not authoritarian parenting, which is the parenting that has all the limits and boundaries, but none of the warmth and very, you know, and less respect and maybe more. Um, there's more harsh punishment often with authoritarian parenting. So authoritative is like this middle ground, with nice balance where you can pull, you know, push and pull a little bit. Um, and yet, you know, I, I can always think like in a moment when I don't know what to do, I think about, okay, I want to be respectful. I want to be warm, but I also want to be firm. And I want to make sure my, you know, kids understand that I'm in charge that that they're not in charge. Um, and I kind of use those key things to sort of help me figure out a plan. I think it becomes a little bit confusing for parents around the discipline
1: area, right? Like they think, well, you can't be warm and responsive and sensitive during discipline. I need to be that more authoritarian uh, figure. Um, but it still applies when you're disciplining your child. You can still be aware that they can't do something. You can't hit your sibling. But I need—I can hear you out and see what happened and-, and why you did that. And I see that you're really frustrated because they took your toy, for example, right? Like, it doesn't right. go away just because
0: you're disciplining your child. No, absolutely. Absolutely. You can still be warm and respectful and yet set these firm limits. And, mm-hmm. and also it means though, you don't have to scream at your kids when you're setting, you know, when you're maybe um, invoking a consequence, like you can do mm-hmm. that in a calm way and say, you know, this, this was not okay. You knew this wasn't okay. And yet you still did it. And so tomorrow, you know, you're not going to be able to use your iPad. Um, you don't have to mm-hmm. say it in some like barky, angry way, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> while still, you know, um, Getting the point across. I mean, discipline is really like about teaching more than anything else. It's, it's not about punishing. It's about teaching and helping kids in the ways that they need to, to, to learn whatever skill or lesson you want them to learn.
1: I'm so happy you used that word teaching <laughs> because it doesn't matter if I'm speaking to a clinician or if I'm speaking to somebody who's backed by research and sharing that information, that word keeps coming up. So I hope that parents who are listening realize that it is really about teaching and that we need to shift the way that we were raised and, and how we perhaps were disciplined. It's it's really what we know now, you know that it needs to be around teaching and and what are they learning from this moment of discipline that they learn what they can't do, what they can do, how they should have acted or responded differently um and yeah, so I'm really happy to use that word it's it's an important one,
0: yeah, you know mm-hmm. one other word that comes to mind when I think of authoritative parenting, and I've never actually seen this described, but I think of being curious as a parent as well mm-hmm. um and in a way learning as a parent. So we're teaching, but we're also learning and we're trying to understand like, why did this happen? Why did, why did my child do this? What, what might they be struggling with? What skill do they lack that I might want to help them learn? Um, But just staying curious, I think is something that authoritative parents are good at, but not so much authoritarian where it's just Mm -hmm. like, I don't care why you did this. You did this and you're in trouble. You know, Um, it's like, i it's like a disinterest and a a judgment rather than a curiosity. And I think being curious is, is much healthier and ultimately will bring you closer to your kids.
1: That word curious is everything we try to do here. I curious. Yes. (laughs) But yeah, I think, and, and the next piece brings me into the, in the next part of our conversation, really around that empathy. And 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 when I talk about empathy, and the reason why it brings me into this is because I think as a parent, we need to be curious and compassionate towards our kids, and also curious and compassionate towards ourselves because there will be moments when we just don't know how to deal with it, or that we lose our minds, and we yell, and we say things that we didn't mean, and we just, we did it. But if we can come back to the curious piece about ourselves and the compassionate piece of, I was stressed, I was tired, I, I didn't mean to say that, then the conversations are lighter with yourself and with your child, and you're able to have those conversations. How do we teach this compassion piece and empathy piece to our kids, especially if we're struggling again, coming back to us, but if we're struggling with that on
0: ourselves, how do we start teaching that to our kids? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, certainly talking about feelings is a good first step um, for developing empathy. Another um, another approach I talk about in the book is called inductive discipline or induction. And so this involves really giving kids the why, like of, you know, why you're asking them to do something or why you're upset about something maybe, and connecting basically connecting your kids' actions to their effects on other people. Um so, you know, I think it's hard sometimes to understand the difference between intention and impact. Um, mm-hmm. but those it's really important for kids to understand that while well, they might not have meant to do something, you know, they accidentally did something or they hurt someone's feeling or whatever it is. Um, and so with induction, basically how I use it is if I want my child to do something, I ask them to do something like, please pick up your Legos. I think that's an example I used in the book. I don't just say, please pick up your Legos. I will say, please pick up your Legos because otherwise I'm going to step on one and it's really going to hurt. Or if my daughter who loves to hum and I I'm a hummer as well, but like she's humming and it, and I can tell that her brother who's trying to do his homework is starting to get Mm -hmm. agitated. You know, I, if I want to intervene, which sometimes I will just let them work it out, but I might say, you know, I would you mind maybe humming in a different room? Cause I think your brother's trying to do his homework and and your humming is distracting him. And so it's, it's really trying to help connect the dots for kids um, between what they're doing and how it might be affecting other people that they might not be aware of. And what, what this does is it really helps kids recognize that they're part of this larger whole, like whatever the community they're in their home, their school, like they are, they are, they're not just, um, themselves like they are part of this and everything is happening everything that everything happens can affect other people. So that's something I use a lot to help build compassion and help kids recognize, like, oh, you know, maybe if I do something, it's gonna affect more than just me. It might have impacts mm-hmm. on others. And then um, you know, one skill I talk about a lot in the book is called theory of mind, which mm-hmm. um is really important precursor for compassionate behavior. So theory of mind is essentially just the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes to take another person's perspective and to understand that like another person could have a different experience, emotional experience than you're having. Um, and I, I use this a lot with my kids when I'm trying to help them understand why someone is, is behaving a certain way or why someone's, asking them something. So one example I'm thinking of from the recent past was when um, my son was upset because the bus driver had separated him and another kid and they were being really loud on the bus. And he said, you know, I but I wasn't doing anything mean. Like, I don't understand why he separated us. And, and I said, okay, well, let's think about what it's like to be a bus driver. <laughs> let's think about what, what their job is. What do they need to be doing when they're driving that bus? Mm. And gosh, you know, Being able to focus on the road is really important in order to keep all of you safe. And and sometimes, you know, when when there's loud noises behind you and you're trying to focus, it's really hard to focus. And so I wonder whether maybe he separated you because all the noise you were making was distracting him from doing his job. And, you know, and I could tell my son was like, oh, I hadn't (laughs) thought of that. And so anytime (laughs) we can sort of create that bridge Mm -hmm. between like, you know, why, again, it's really... Answering the why, like, why is somebody doing this? Why is a person asking me this and connecting it to your child's actions that can really build this empathy and compassion and theory of mind? Mm.
1: I'm going to place ourselves in a school right now because this is a situation that I've heard over and over again, even before the pandemic, where a principal or a teacher calls the parent in, the parent comes in. Um, they're told that their child has been, was mean to another child or did something wrong to another child or has been bullying, something to that effect. And the parent says, not my child. (laughs) This Mm -hmm. is something that, again, that I've heard over and over again. And I think it's so hard. My kids are are not um, in the school system yet, so I don't, I haven't experienced this yet. But You know, I I could imagine how much it kind of, it hurts to hear that. And you you might say to yourself that my child knows better than to do that. What do you say or what can you say to parents who get called into that situation and, and just want to automatically say, there's no way my child would do something like this? How do we move forward and explore? I guess we'd have to be curious, but how do we approach this?
0: Yeah. It's really hard to be told that your kid has done something maybe that's unsavory, right? Um, We all want (laughs) to think that our kids are, I mean, most of us have great kids, but that doesn't mean that they can't make mistakes. That doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that they're not going to sometimes be unkind, right? Um, And I found the research on bullying to be some of the most eye-opening research that I came across in writing my book, because Mm -hmm. there are a lot of assumptions I think that we have about bullying that are just not accurate as parents. Um, One of them is that um bullies are always their behavior is always on purpose you know they're they're mm. trying to hurt other people's feelings they're really just they're just like doing it you know to to make people miserable and there certainly are some people who bully who are like that we've probably all met at least <laughs> one um but there are a subset of kids who really again they don't understand that like impact intention difference sometimes and they think they're being funny they're trying to make a joke they're trying to make everyone laugh and, and and really they they're hurting somebody's feelings um so there can be kids who are like quote unquote great kids but who can engage in these behaviors and i think parents need to to know that another thing is this assumption that um bullies are like always bullies. Um, you know, uh, they are going to bully every day if they're a bully, you know, it's just like their persona. And that's not true. We know from research that they're it's a spectrum. Like there are kids who can occasionally bully or bully sometimes and then get bullied the next day. Um, and so it's, that's another thing that, you know, again, if we think like a bully is always a bully, then if we don't see our kids engaging in any of that behavior at home, we might assume they never do it, but that's not a fair assumption. And then the other one study that i thought was just um fascinating was um researchers like i think they interviewed parents as well as asking kids about their behavior at school and they found that the parents of the kids who did engage in bullying were the least likely to think that their kids engaged in bullying <laughs> those were the parents who said no 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 my kids never do this so <laughs> if you're a parent who says my kid is never going to do this and never has done this mm. you know maybe remember that statistic mm. So I think that in those situations, yeah, we have to reflect on the data that, look, if your kid does something nasty, it doesn't mean that you have a bad child, right? Um, Theory of mind takes time to develop. Kids are going to make these mistakes. And and it's really our job to help them through it, to understand, you know, how did this happen? How can I use How can I teach my child that this wasn't okay um, in a way that's not going to shame them and, and, you know, make them... um, feel ashamed, but that can, you know, instill maybe new skills in them. So, you know, I did once get a call from the principal that something had happened involving one of my kids being unkind on mm-hmm. on the bus. And, you know, that night I sat down and I said, I, you know, I wanted to hear, of course, my child's side of the story too. Mm-hmm. And I just I wanted to collect information, be curious, like tell me what happened. I want to hear what happened. And then I didn't quite hear the full story. And I said, okay, well here's what I've heard. And eventually we just had a very it took a while, but we had a very in-depth conversation about the situation, about what happened, about why it all happened, about why, what my child had done was not okay. And I think we just need to lean into those conversations. And if we hear our kid has done something like that is an opportunity to have a conversation about, have maybe many conversations Mm -hmm. about, you know, that situation, about what's appropriate, about why things aren't okay about intention versus impact, like using those as opportunities, I think is really important. Is it ever too late to have those conversations? If you have a teenager
1: and you're listening to this podcast episode and you realize I never really had those conversations and I've noticed my child isn't being really kind to my, to me and to others. Is it too late to start
0: it? No, it's never too late to start it. It's never, never, never too late. Um, Yeah. Mm. I would say if, if you're wondering whether you should talk to your child about something, the answer is probably yes. And Mm. you know, and if you can go into it again with, curiosity, um, you know, another way in sometimes with kids who maybe get defensive immediately um, and they recognize like, oh, I think this is going to be a lecture or something um, is to go in with a story about your own childhood. Like, let me tell you about this one time when this thing happened and how And, and, you know, what I did about it or how hard it was for me and sort of use your own stories as a way in because kids sometimes then they let their guard down and they're like, oh, this is about mom when really it's also kind of about them, but, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're more open to it. So that's maybe a good approach too.
1: We're close to ending our conversation. I knew I would have trouble (laughs) stopping our conversation, but uh, I'm just curious with regards to the bullying, if you saw anything specific to, you know, racism or just in terms around the conversations, would you address it the same way if your child bullied and it was more serious? It wasn't just about being unkind. Is there extra information that a parent should know when it comes to that and how to address that?
0: You know, I do think that sometimes kids are going to shock us by saying things that are either racist or sexist, Mm -hmm. because it it is in our culture and they're absorbing it. Um, I mean, I think it makes it just extra important to start having conversations with kids, uh, if you Mm -hmm. haven't already, about race, about um, gender, you know, Mm -hmm. about sexism, about racism. A lot of times kids will infer things from like, you know, our our society has a racial hierarchy that's very easy for kids to see. You know, we know Mm -hmm. that white people have more power. And if we don't talk about the fact that, oh, this is because of racism, not because white people are smarter, then they they are going to make these inferences. And that doesn't make them bad kids, but it does mean that we need to have a lot of conversations to interrupt that process. And so I would just say, don't, there's a lot of shame. I think when we hear like, oh my gosh, my kid said something that's, you know, hateful um, in some way. Um, And I think we need to recognize that in some ways, like it happens a lot. It does not mean your kid is a bad kid. It means they've made some bad assumptions and inferences Mm -hmm. that are incorrect, but that are somewhat understandable sometimes based on what they see around them. And we just need to talk and explain and be curious and help Mm -hmm. them understand why that's not okay. I think it's a really good guide, what you just said, you know, of always having
1: that talk, always being curious and and always having these sort of conversations with them. Um, What would you say are the three most important points from your book that you would like all parents to like start applying tomorrow? Something that you, you know, maybe it's the conversations we just had, but, um, and the conversation, sorry, with your child, but what would be some main points that you would want parents to take home?
0: Okay. I would say, use the, um, opportunities that come up around you, um, situations that you find yourself in as, um, launching off points for conversations. Um, Mm -hmm. so if you see a black lives matter sign, that's a great reason to, to talk about race. Hey, did you see that sign? What does that mean? Mm -hmm. You know, um, You see something in a movie, uh, something happening that is bullying or, you know, sexism, you pause the movie and say, hey, what just happened there? So I'm constantly looking for these like moments in our world that as we pass through it um, that I can use as conversation starters. So that is something I recommend. Um, And talking about your own feelings is okay too. Like um, you're not burdening your kids if you sometimes want to talk about, hey, I had a difficult day and let me tell you why it was hard. I think those can be really great moments mm-hmm. for kids to see that like we as adults struggle um, and that's okay. And we have feelings too. So it's okay for you to have feelings. Um, so that's another mm-hmm. another thing I recommend. It's
1: good. The last point you just said, reminds me of a father I had spoken with once who said, how can I... Why should I show my negative emotions or my, you know, like sadness and anger, and tell my child that I struggle with this? If I'm supposed to be the authoritative figure in their home, you know, and 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 I said emotions make you human, <laughs> so it's yes. okay, it's okay to have those. And I think we need to continue having conversations around everything that we spoke about today. Because as simple as it is, I'm sure parents are like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. I want my child to be kind. I'll be kind. I want my child to be empathetic. I just need to be empathetic. But it's easier said than done sometimes because we. Do struggle as parents, even within our home, um, just looking at within their four walls. Are we being kind and respectful and empathetic towards our partner in front of our child, towards our child? Um, you know, you can be angry at somebody. And I, I think you mentioned this in your book, and this is something I strongly believe you could be angry at somebody and still be respectful. And th- that's that's an important point for us. Um, so thank you for, for chatting with me today. Can you share how we can reach you? Or is your book available everywhere online?
0: Yes. My book is, um, on, you know, Amazon, Amazon, Indie bound all the, all the places and in bookstores. Um, and I also have a newsletter that goes out twice a week. Um, that's is my kid, the asshole on Substack, which is um, (laughs) Melinda W So I'm always exploring new questions and issues in parenting in my Substack. Um, and yeah, I'm on Instagram and Twitter as well. Um, I'll yeah. share all those links in the show
1: okay. notes. Thank you to everyone who's listening. Please take a moment to rate and review the Curious Neuron podcast. And you can reach Melinda through all the, the links that I'll provide. Thank you again. And I hope I get to speak to you again soon.
0: Thank you, Cindy. Thanks.